Thank you, Julie and worship team. It's always uh, wonderful to come to Calvary. Uh, even I feel a kinship here uh, with you, uh, having grown up in this area and worshiped uh, in this area as well. Uh, this morning as we come to prayer, uh, we've just received word from the Abrahamson family that Al went to be with our Lord this morning. Um, so many of you are aware of that and know him and know of his condition. We have no other information at this time, so we just ask you as we come to prayer this morning to pray for Edie and for the family. Uh, they're gathering together today, and I'm sure that word will get out to you here at Calvary of uh, the plans and the arrangements that will be made there. So let's go to prayer this morning. And uh, let's just begin with a silent time of prayer, uh, praying for your needs and the needs on your heart, and then join with me as we pray together for the common needs, not only of Calvary, but of the Church of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come together this morning as a church family, you know the needs of the Abrahamson family. And as we've talked this morning in the prayer room, this is a day of celebration for Al is in the presence of Jesus Christ. The absent from the body is indeed to be present with the Lord. But Edie and family remain, Lord, and there is a grieving process for believers. We grieve not as those without hope, but we still grieve. And so as a congregation, I want to lead us this morning in prayer for Edie and family. As they gather through the day today, as they begin to explore and think through details of arrangements and, and those matters that come upon the death of a loved one. We just pray for them, give them strength, give them comfort, give them the peace of God that passes all understanding, and in the midst of it all, all might they rejoice in the fact that Al knew the Savior and is with the Savior in his presence today. Lord, you know the heartaches and the needs of those gathered in the pews here at Calvary this morning. You know us well, you know us individually. And so we are praying, Lord, that you would hear our prayers individually, that you would minister to the needs that are brought to you, and that, Lord, you would do a mighty work in the lives of those here at Calvary Evangelical Free Church. Lord, we pray for Pastor Daniel and Linda as they're away this morning. We pray for refreshment. We pray for some moments of relaxation for them and other staff as they're away as, uh, this morning too. And we pray for Calvary as it moves forward and, and uh, as they uh, seek to uh, do the work that you have called them to do, Lord, here in the Essex Fells and the greater 
Caldwell, uh, West Orange, uh, this whole area, Lord. We just pray for them and pray for the leadership as they frame out and, and uh, share uh, future plans and needs. So, Lord, we lift up Calvary. We lift up uh, this congregation to you. And, Lord, as we come to the Word, uh, the Word of God is living. The Word of God is inerrant, infallible. And so as we come to it this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and open our ears to hear from you. Transform us, Lord. Convict us. Encourage us. Comfort us. And through it all, Lord, might we sincerely hear your voice. For it's in your name I pray these things with my brothers and sisters gathered here this morning. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or to turn in, on your devices to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to be reading the text in a few moments, but I've titled my message this morning, uh, The Blinding Effects of Serving God. The Blinding Effects of Serving God. Now, I'm not sure how much of the preaching here has touched on various topics, but, but I have rarely heard a sermon with a title like that, The Blinding Effects of Serving God. After all, uh, serving God's a good thing, isn't it? Uh, but, as I read the scripture text this morning, and this parable of the two sons, I find that it can be easy for people like you and me uh, people who have the best of intentions, I, I definitely want to do my best for God, and I have a deep desire to honor God in all that I do, but sometimes, even though we have the best intentions, it's easy to slip into an unbalanced spiritual life, unintentionally. And I found that in my life at times, and I'm sure that many of you have found it in your life. And so this morning, with you, and with me gathered together, I want to consider a group of people that excelled in everything spiritually in Scripture. In fact, we, we admire them uh, spiritually. Uh, these people in this group were zealous for God. They were theologically astute. They knew their Scriptures. They were masters, in fact, of the biblical text, the Scripture says. They obeyed the commands of God, even some of the most obscure ones. And they even made up some extra rules just to be sure that they didn't miss anything. Uh, this was a group throughout Scripture, as we read of them, that heartily embraced the spiritual disciplines. Uh, Jesus, in fact, said of them in Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of this group, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So they were a righteous people. And when Paul reached back into his past, and recalled and pulled out his resume, he called himself a committed part of this group of people. Uh, they were considered to be the committed of the committed. Now, you must know by now what group I'm speaking of, don't you? In Jesus' day, they were called the Pharisees. And boy, do we want to distance ourselves from the Pharisees. Uh, but in Jesus' day, to be a Pharisee was a badge of honor in many ways. It was a compliment. And so this morning, I want you and me to grasp the importance 
of knowing about this group. Larry Osborne, in his book called Accidental Pharisees, made this statement. If we, those of us in the church, fail to understand how spiritually impressive the Pharisees were, we will remain blind to the danger of becoming like them. We will assume that their tragic transformation from passionate defenders of God into enemies of God could never happen to us. And that's my concern this morning for all of us. I believe the text this morning as we unpack it uh, is something we all need to listen to very, very carefully. Because I believe the section of the passage in the story we read this morning uh, is really uh, uh, for us, the long-time churchgoers, the people that sit in the pews Sunday after Sunday, the people that serve God well and are obedient in the ways that God leads them. This is a passage for us. It's a passage for people who don't struggle as much with running away from God as they struggle with condemning those who do. Uh, This is a passage for people who tend to think of other people who need to hear this passage rather than themselves. And so I asked for God to speak to me this morning as I preach on this text and as we Think it through together. Now, why did Jesus share this parable in the Luke 15 where you've turned or have brought up on your devices? There's three parables told, the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep. And so my question is this, why did Jesus share this parable? Well, look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees... And the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells them, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were muttering, he tells them the three stories, the parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, and lost sons, I would say. Therefore, we need to hear. When the Pharisees saw Jesus loving and receiving and forgiving those that they hated and deemed unworthy, they rebelled against it. And worse, they failed to see their own need for grace and forgiveness. And folks, that's what can happen to us as we sit in the pews week after week. We can fail to see how this applies to me and to us. Now Jesus responds to this question that they asked, not with a sledgehammer, but with a parable, a story. And we want to review that story this morning. A man has two sons. You well know the story. The younger son demands the inheritance from the father, takes the money, runs away. He goes, he wastes the money on wild living, ends up broke, hungry, and miserable. He comes to his senses, the text says, and he confesses to God that he had sinned and he heads home. As he heads home, he's not sure how his father's going to receive him, and so he prepares for the job, not as a son, but as a servant, as he comes home to his dad. We read the text, and we're not going to read this section, but when the dad sees the son, he runs to him, embraces the son, dresses him in a new robe, gives him a family ring, puts shoes on his feet, kills the fatted calf, and a wonderful celebration ensues. And now we come to the part of the text that we need to read this morning. Because at this point of the parable and of the story, I wonder if the Pharisees were beginning to relax a little bit. Oh, good. 
Jesus, he's talking about somebody who's run away from God. We've not done that. He's talking some, about somebody who's wasted their life and wasted their living. We haven't done that. We've been obedient. We've been serving God. We've been conscious of the laws and of all the texts of Scripture. Good. We're off the hook. Maybe, maybe just this time, Jesus isn't going to make us the brunt of the story. After all, this story so far was about the disgust of someone messing up their lives and having to grovel their way back into the relationship with the Father. Would have been nice for the Pharisees and for some of us in the church community if the story stopped there. But Jesus had a message for the religious Pharisees who were listening, and at verse 25, the parable takes a dramatic turn. And it's there that I want to focus, because it's here that Jesus introduces the third character, the third portrait, that of the older brother. The wayward son is not actually, I believe, the son that Jesus really is highlighting in this story. I believe that Jesus is highlighting the son who stayed home. So instead of answering the question that the Pharisees had asked in verse 2, what does it mean that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus is turning the question around now to the Pharisees and saying, well, what does it mean for you Pharisees and teachers of the law not to be eating with them? What does it mean that you, the Pharisees and the scribes, are grumbling about Jesus eating with them rather than seeing the need and caring for those that are different than you? That's what the last part of this parable is about. So let's read the text and let it speak to us. I pick up in the latter part of verse 24. So they began, as that younger son had come home, they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a goat, young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, when he came back, he squandered your property with prostitutes. He comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because the, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As I explore this parable and this part of the parable with you this morning, uh, two points I want to make. Uh, first is focusing on what I would call the pouting prodigal. The pouting prodigal. And now this guy, this guy who stayed home, the older brother, he did have some strong and good, outstanding qualities, just like many of us do. He was hardworking. He was obedient. He had never brought disgrace on his family. And I, I just see in him that he represents many religious people. Many like us, who perhaps have never sinned against God by running off and doing wild things, but we've been warming the pew, many of us for many years. 
But when it comes to really celebrating what God is doing in the lives of others and in other places, we struggle to rejoice. In fact, we don't rejoice. So this morning, I want us to look at the characteristics of this older son. In verse 28, and just have your text open because I'll reference them. But in verse 28, we see that he had an angry spirit of grumbling. It says there, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now, the Greek word is orge for angry. He flew into a rage. I've never left home, the older son said. I've never spent all my money on prostitutes. Now, that's what the older son accused the younger son of in the text. We know it was true of the younger son, but my question is, how did the older son know? How did the older son know? I think he had his spies out there. He had his critics out there. He was looking for chances to, to dig at the younger brother who had, who had walked away. And, and you've never killed a fatted calf for me. Can you hear the whining? Can you hear the whining? And I sense in some of our churches that some of us can get grabbed into that spirit of just whining and complaining a little bit. You know, church members who have been around for a long time, and I've been around for a long time too, we can get jealous, can't we? We can be resentful when church starts to pay attention to new people and do things differently than what, what we had grown up with or experienced. And that's the older brother syndrome here. Uh, did you notice what he said in verse 29? I have never disobeyed. I think that's self-talk. I think he disobeyed. But he wasn't willing to recognize it. Life never goes the way we want it to go. But he says, I've never disobeyed. We have to live with disappointments and disillusionments. And you want to say to this older son, don't you? I want to say to him right at this point, look, come on in. Join the celebration. The father's giving a, a, a banquet for the younger son who's come home. Let's celebrate what God's doing together. But the older son sits out there. He'd rather be miserable and outside and fret away. He had an angry spirit of grumbling. But notice in verse 29, it says he had an inflated sense of his own goodness. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He expected his goodness to pay off. Did you notice the word slaving for you? I hope that when my relationship, in my relationship with Jesus Christ, I don't come to the point where it's like, okay, God, guess I've got to just slave away for you because you're God and you're the Lord. I hope it's a relationship of love. But this older son, by using the word look, did you notice that? Look. Boy, if I ever said that to my dad. That's not a term of respect, is it? He exaggerates his own goodness. He exaggerates his brother's wickedness. And it's easy to look at people that way, whose sins are open and obvious, and think that somehow, well, I'm much better than they are. But I've got to tell you, that's pride. Uh, the Pharisees had a tendency to recognize the sins of others clearly, but be blind to their own sins. In fact, Jesus describes them as blind guides. That's pride. This older son defined his own righteousness. He had excelled in keeping the rules that he deemed important. He was obeying God, but it had been a grind. He was slaving away. There was no joy in his relationship. He's obeying just to get God. There's no adoration here. 
no love relationship. He sees himself and his father as a master-slave relationship, not as a father-son relationship. What honors God is not slave labor. Just obeying him because I've got to, but a childlike faith that delights in the sufficiency of our Savior and our Father and seeks to perform and to share with him because we love him. The whole orientation of the older son is based on his performance, what he did, not what the father had done or what God has done. Notice in verse 30, this older son, he had a total lack of concern for his brother. Did you notice how he addresses the son when he talks? But this son of yours. He didn't say, my brother, this son of yours. The older brother has a real lack of mercy and of grace. And I see this creeping into some of us and who have been on the journey for a long time, that we lose the focus and we, we lose the mercy and the grace of God. His attitude, the older son's attitude, stands in sharp contrast to the spirit of the celebration. He had not missed his brother one bit. He hadn't cared about him when he was gone one bit. He also didn't care about his father and his father's happiness either. His only thought was, I am not being recognized. I'm not getting what I think I deserve. He was resentful of attention being given to his brother. And he was jealous that the love of his father extended to somebody who, he initially, had, who initially had rejected him. You see, mercy. Mercy is really more important than sacrifice. It's not just that they don't show mercy, but their mercy has limits. Uh, we have plenty of mercy sometimes for missionaries and for those who face tough odds and those who don't yet know Jesus. But with the people in the body and the family of God, uh, we have very little mercy sometimes for struggling brothers and sisters. For those within the family. Notice that this was a family relationship here, folks. Uh, for those within the family who are weak and faltering. For those folks... Uh, we're harsh and we give stinging exhortations. But God cares about the bruised reed and the smoking flax. This son had a total lack of concern for his brother. He lacked mercy and grace and forgiveness and working together within the family structure with the father. And lastly, he had a faulty understanding of grace. Or next to last, he had a faulty understanding of grace. Verse 29. You never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. The older brother was insulted because he really thought he deserved better than the younger son. He thought he deserved the fatted calf and his brother somehow deserved less. After all, the older son, he'd been serving in the fields, he'd been keeping all the rules while his brother was living it up. It's just not fair. It's just not fair. And I get there too. I get there too. His complaint, the older brother expects justice, not mercy. The older brother had a spirit of a hired servant who works for reward, not the spirit of a son who works because he loves his father and has a loving relationship. You owe me. You owe me an answer to my prayer, God. You owe me to give me a good life and a better life. You owe me. He had a faulty understanding of grace 
And lastly, he had an unforgiving heart. Verse 28, he refused to go in. The older brother would not forgive his brother for his licentious living, nor would he forgive his father for his gracious response. And that raises an interesting question for me as I read this parable and this story. Why did the younger son come home? Why did the younger son come home? The younger son came home because he had a dad who was generous and gracious. That's why he came home. But the older son, the older son, always eating at the table, always being there at mealtimes, always being in the presence of the father, saw him as stingy. Saw him as stingy. And the point is this. The older son had lost his sense of goodness. He had lost, uh, you know, knowing that it's possible to serve God and be completely self-centered in the process. It's possible to be a churchgoer all the years of your life, and I've been there, and I am there, and and be so self-centered that I forget the grace and the mercy of God extended to others. Morally upright people, totally immersed in service for God, can be just as far from God as anyone else. So the turn comes here. Our hope is in not what we do for God, the older son was doing for the, for the father, but it's not in what we do for God. Our hope is in what God has done for us. And that's the gospel. And look at the gracious father here. What does the Father have to say about all this? What will Jesus teach us? This is what Jesus says to those of us this morning who've been going to church for decades and have grown hard and merciless and perhaps feel disgust more than compassion at things and at people. It's also what Jesus says to those who stumble and struggle in their relationship with Him. I notice of the Father, verse 28, His Father went out. The Father heard that the older son was angry and wouldn't come in. And this is one of those horrible family moments. Uh, Some of us have been there. Horrible family moments when the whole dinner is about to be ruined because someone's in a tiff and won't come to the table. How does the father deal with the son? Well, the same way he dealt with the younger son. He didn't send a servant out. He doesn't stand on the porch and holler from a distance, get yourself into this house right now or you'll lose part of your inheritance. He goes out himself to his son. And that's the father that we have. The father God who seeks us and goes out and woos us in and says, come home, come home. Perhaps you've been in church all your life, but you've kind of lost perspective. You've gotten a little bitter or angry at times over the way things are going. Come home, come home. I notice the father, it says in verse 28 as well, that he pleaded with him. Uh, This is the father entreating, not commanding, And the son is resisting, not complying. At this critical moment, when the dad had every right to be angry that the older brother was so selfish, resentful, and rude, he's entreating. He doesn't want slavish obedience. And so he's appealing to the son's heart. And here's the point. The father's not just trying to get the son to perform the right actions. He's trying to awaken within him what a relationship of love is like. 
with the Father that he's known. And sometimes, folks, for us who have been in the church for a long time, we can lose that love relationship with our Father, that intimate love and just recognizing, oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. I noticed third that the Father says, my son my child. Did you notice that verse 31? He doesn't say my servant, my slave, but my child. The father's trying to get the son to realize that he had built the whole relationship on the wrong footing the son had. With one word, child, the father sets it right. And this is the relationship that we need to have if we are ever to join and then enjoy the banquet, the celebration of what God is doing and what he's doing among us it's moving in and saying, yes, he's my father, and I'm his son. Verse 31, the father said, you are always with me. You're always with me. It expresses the deepest void in the elder son heart. I'm amazed that this elder son, he lived in the house of the father, and yet he found no satisfaction from being with the father. Here he is, the heir to the estate. He has at his disposal all sorts of animals, and his father is manifestly kind and gracious. You're always with me. These are the words of a person for whom grace and glory of his father have ceased to be his treasure. In fact, for some, God is no longer their treasure, but he is a means to get my treasure. And that's where the son lost his perspective got swayed from, Father, what do you want? To, this is what I want. Father, why can't you move into it? The Father said, you're always with me. Enjoy. And the last thing, verse 31. Everything I have is yours. I believe at this point, Jesus is looking right at the Pharisees. If you will come in with the sinners, if you will stop relating to me as a slave, if you will be satisfied with all that I am for you as your father, if you will receive the grace and let it flow to your brother, then you will experience fully my grace. But Pharisees, if you choose to stay out on the porch, out on the steps, if you insist on relating to me as a worthy slave based on your merit and what you have done, then you're going to miss out on the celebration. And you'll experience a growing loneliness from God. Because of his refusal to go in, he imprisoned himself behind a wall of loneliness. We're invited in this morning to a celebration. Whether we are down in the pig pen and wandering far, or whether we're sitting on the family porch refusing to go in, to the celebration of the dinner. I find it interesting that Jesus leaves the ending of this story open-ended. We don't know what the older son did. And I believe that that was so on purpose by Jesus. Because it's now up to you and to me. What will we do? I've never seen in my heart the things that I now see sometimes. Sense of superiority, a lack of joy at times, a bit of uh, anger at God at times for not doing things in certain ways. 
when I realize and when you realize the radical vulnerability of Christ for us, what he's done for us, then we'll open up to God doing a continuing work in my life. Keep growing me. I've not arrived yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not better than others, Lord. Help me. This morning, how deep is your gratitude for God? Gratitude is the only logical response of one one can have for the forgiveness that is totally undeserved. A thankful person will be someone who is daily experiencing at least something of the grace of God and it's thankfulness to conquer selfish ambition. That older son, he didn't have any thanksgiving for the younger son who now had come home, for the father who wanted to celebrate and who had given everything to him or made available everything to him. Jesus here is entreating the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, uh, the good guys in many ways. In fact, I believe Jesus is entreating all of us this morning. Sinners of the worldly kind who might be sitting here, rebellious son, or sinners of the religious kind, the older brother. Uh, He's inviting us to come in from the country of misery, the younger son. But he's also inviting us to come in from the front porch of hard-earned merit because both are deadly. And so he says, come. Inside is a banquet of grace and forgiveness and fellowship with an all-satisfying Father and an inheritance unfading, undefiled, incorruptible, kept in heaven for all who live by faith and grace and not by earning merit. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So church, let's not let these words simply reflect on those outside of the family today. But let's allow them to reflect on those inside the family. The older sons, those who have sought God to be good people and obedient people, but have somehow lost perspective and become bitter, angry, contentious, and not part of the family might we hear from the living God this morning. Lord, I've got to tell you this morning that I need to ask your forgiveness because so often I've read this story, this parable, and I have focused solely or almost solely on the younger son. But Lord, you've told this story to a group of individuals that were the good people at that day. Uh, They were trying to follow the law. They were the religious people. They knew the biblical text. They were in the Word. They added rules on that uh, uh, to just make sure they were doing it right. But in the midst of all of that, they had lost their love for the Father. They had lost their perspective on care for others. And they had lost their, their desire to work within the family of God, to work together for the good of God's people. And they've lost out on the celebration. And so, Lord, this morning, speak to us, wherever we are in our life, whether we're that wandering son, whether we're the stay-at-home son that just wants to do good, but we've lost perspective. And, Lord, bring us to the point where we want to enjoy the celebration of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Celebrate his goodness not only to us, but to his church, and to the people of God. Oh, Lord, speak to us, I pray. For it's in your name I ask it. Amen.